Welcome back, everyone, to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Lindsay, and today's interview is with our certified nutritionist, Liliana Partida, and we are talking all about celiac disease. You are all going to find this such a fascinating episode because, of course, we talk about what is celiac, what does conventional medicine treatment of celiac look like versus an integrative treatment of celiac, but Liliana, really, we spend a good amount of time talking about the emotional aspect of celiac disease and just poor gut health in general. Liliana points out that the emotion of anger is stored in the gut. So if from childhood or even our adult life, we have a lot of repressed anger, it can manifest as various gut issues, one of those being celiac disease. And so she walks us through how she works with patients on an emotional level and a physiological level to begin to reverse celiac disease and or just support and reduce symptoms. As always, check the show notes because there will be plenty of resources linked below. And with that, please enjoy this interview with Liliana Partida. Well, Liliana, welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Oh, thank you, Leanne, for inviting me back. I always love doing your shows. Yes, and we just did an interview with Dr. Sembi on autoimmune disease, and we know this incorporates a vast number of diseases underneath it, celiac being one of them. So today we're going to dive more specifically into celiac disease. But to start it off, can you define, in case anyone didn't listen to that episode, can you give us a brief little intro, what is autoimmune disease and what's happening with celiac specifically? So it's an autoimmune disease is a dysregulated immune system. And, um, and in this particular issue, it is creating an inflammatory response to gluten, which are proteins that are in gluten that, um, elicits an, an antigen response, like the body's trying to attack a bacteria, but unfortunately attacks the, uh, the villi of the small intestine, which is very problematic for absorption of any foods. So it's actually very detrimental uh, nutritionally for absorption, but also can set you up for other autoimmune disorders. So it's a dysregulated immune system. Mm-hmm. Is One of the things I want to start off with is, is celiac genetic? It is believed to be genetic um, in nature. And one of the things that we've talked about before is that a child inherits the mother's gut, right? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, uh, I, I love to, you know, my, by my own experience with my emotional work, and, and we'll get into a little bit of that in regards of just the, um, the, the polyvagal theory in regards to the emotional aspect of um, how a child or a person perceives life that it's going to hit the gut. So we look, I, I like to look at it, you know, not just as a genetic predisposition because we know with epigenetics that you can influence it by the environment. So if we've already have a foundation that is predisposed, but then you're really quite careful to, um, or let's just say the parents are very well versed in understanding the atmosphere that we can create a more calming environment for Mm. the child's nervous system. Mm -hmm. So now for those who may not understand this, can you differentiate between 
diagnose celiac and just a gluten sensitivity or gluten intolerance. Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the no man's land, you know, when you actually have an intolerance to it, but when you get tested that you have don't you don't have any of those antibodies and you don't have any destruction to the villi. So it can be very confusing and it's been very confusing to uh, a lot of scientists and physicians, but they both have very similar symptoms. Mm. And so again, with, uh, with the celiac, um, there's diagnostic ways to find out, and usually it's an endoscopy where they actually take and uh, actually will take a small little tissue sample and to, to see, you know, in fact, do you really have a, uh, um, a celiac disease? Because a lot of people who are gluten sensitive, you know, they're having all the same symptoms, so how do you differentiate? So you can do it with a biopsy. There's also a pill that you can take, a, a pill endoscopy, where it sends a camera, and again, is taking thousands of pictures in regards of the intestinal tract um, as well. And then, of course, there is blood work that you can do. So there's quite a few tests that you can do for that. And then when it comes to allergy of, or a, an immune response, it could be a, um, a temporary immune response, meaning that you could still get the bloating and the gas and the diarrhea and the, and the pain, um, but it, it goes away. And oftentimes it might not even happen every time. It just might be the fact of accumulation of a specific food that you're eating more often, like let's just say wheat, for example. You eat it more often than not, then your body builds up to this and then you have a reaction. Mm. So one is gonna be an immunoglobulin response, which is temporarily, right? Right? and um, uh, immunoglobins E that they can test on a blood if you're reacting to something sensitivity, but you actually don't have the actual disease, uh, which is like what they said, it could be genetic in nature. Mm -hmm. So with the sensitivity, you might have sort of an acute reaction to it consistently or inconsistently, but the difference is that with the autoimmune disease of celiac, the body's actually attacking itself. Yeah, so basically it's deteriorating the villi. And so with basic um, allergy response, it's kind of an allergy response, but it's it can be um, like, for example, systemic, meaning I could get rash, I could have, you know, eczema, I mm -hmm. could get things of that nature, which, you know, if you stop eating that particular, uh, let's just say gluten, you know, it'll go away within four or five days. But if you have celiac, it doesn't go away, although there had, I mean, they say that once you have celiac, it's an incurable disease, right? But the, and again, we can, you know, have people like Jordan Rubin, right, who basically had a, a very, or actually, I think he had Crohn's, which is kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of all running the same field with each other. But Crohn's even more so, right? Um, you know, he really reversed his situation. So mm -hmm. I believe that everything can be reversed, but you have to learn how to live with it and not expose yourself to the offending agents. Mm -hmm. Can you briefly give us some of the main symptoms of celiac disease? Um, bloaty, gas, because there's a lot of fermentation that happens, um, pain, it could be also uh, rashes, headaches, uh, foggy thinking, um, racy pulse, diarrhea, constipation. So it kind of really, you know, th those kind of symptoms go for IBS, they go for Crohn's, mm -hmm. they go for celiac, they go for so many things. So again, some people may be celiac, but not diagnosed. Yes, exactly. And one of the things I want to talk about is what are some of the potential dangers of having celiac disease without realizing it. What could happen long-term if we don't address that 
that issue if we keep putting in these stimuli that are attacking our... Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing is malnutrition because of the fact that the villi in the small intestine are, are what are, are absorbing nutrients. So you're going to see a lot of B deficiencies, zinc deficiencies, vitamin K deficiencies, uh, iron deficiencies a lot of times. So malnutrition is probably the number one thing. And then, of course, um, oftentimes this is going to go along with the leaky gut situation. Mm. You know, you don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. And so then you're going to have an overreactive immune system that potentially is allowing for particles of undigested foods and or bacteria to get out of the bloodstream. So now you've got a really hyper immune sense, uh, immune system that's attacking most everything that you're eating. So uh, a lot of weight loss is happening. And oftentimes patients will start to see a lot of muscle loss too because oh, of the stress behind uh, this. And so a lot of times when my patients are in a acute uh, situation, they cannot gain a single pound no matter how much they eat or how hard they try because one they're not absorbing the nutrients and their body is under stress so i think the biggest thing is that they can very easily turn that over into another autoimmune disorder it could be hashimoto's because of the leaky gut situation or lupus or any of the other ones so they're very susceptible mm-hmm. and even just with vitamin deficiency that has its own host of symptoms that comes with it yeah well especially you know uh when it comes to the neurotransmitters, since a lot of our happy hormones are produced in the gut, and especially by those vitamin Bs. And so when we have a deficiency, then you know I would say that patients that uh, have uh, gut issues oftentimes have depressive issues. So then you're gonna be treated on a psychological level in regards to uh, you know the severity or how many times you have to go to the doctor or any surgeries that you might have. But that usually goes with more severe things like the Crohn's disease. But I see a lot of patients that you know all they can think about is where's the bathroom mm. or you know I've got to be ruled by the fact if I eat something that you know when I'm out on a date the first thing I got to do is like where's the bathroom so you know they're paranoid to to have you know freedom in in, in the things that they choose to eat and uh, for fear that it's going to you know pain or you know cause them to disrupt their evening so mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of uh, emotional emotional stress and fear that goes along with it. Yeah, and can you expand a little bit more? Because I think one of the things that many people underestimate about celiac is the prolonged reaction. Mm -hmm. Whereas, as you said, maybe if you just have an intolerance, you've got some bloating for a day or two, and then it subsides again. But with celiac, your body might continue to fight itself for months oh yeah after for, eating for, it. for a long time and so you know people will go oh you know just have a little bite or it's okay this time but it's not okay you can end up in the hospital and so it's not so much on an anaphylactic like people eat peanuts and their th- throat swells up but again they will get severe abdominal pain intolerable bloating you know distension and so um yeah, so I'd say it's extremely uncomfortable and, and it really wrecks the villi. And if you wreck the villi, how do you absorb any nutrients? Mm. It's difficult, mm-hmm. very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And that can go on for several weeks. It's not yeah. just like oh, a no. one and done. No, no, no. It could. I mean, it could go on forever until the agents are completely eliminated out mm. of the body. So, yeah, one, one, one. You know, exposure could be you know three weeks of a of a situation and take you back months in regards to your healing. Mm -hmm. So now it seems like when it comes to a conventional treatment of celiac, really the only thing they're suggesting is just avoid it completely. 
sometimes they can use steroidal treatment or immunosuppressants, which okay. is not really what we like to do. Of course, when, whenever I'm dealing with the gut, besides taking the offending agents away, it's how do we heal the gut? Mm-hmm. You know, deglycerated liquors, glutamine, and other agents, uh, you know, um, uh, what, what I also like to use is not just probiotics, digestive enzymes, but there's a time for everything. You have to work on, you know, maybe cleaning out some of the bacteria and the candida as well uh, before you start to build up the army. And so for me, I really like looking at, one, let's take out all these foods just to get the exposure off. Let's work on your stress levels so that we can get the sympathetic nervous system to be calmed down so that your vagal nerve can actually recover. And, um, and different exercises and breath work to do alongside with that. But um, I've had a lot of success with patients, just, you know, again, the elimination of it and also the healing of the gut you know, the aloe vera, the glutamine, like I said, the deglycerated licorice, um, and also the um, uh, colostrums are all fantastic for healing mm-hmm. the gut. So we, 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 we can heal and they can live with their situation in a perfectly healthy manner. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back because you mentioned conventional medicine also sometimes uses steroid treatment. Can you expand on that a little bit and why that might not be a great option or the only option? Yeah. And so again, you know, the, the goal is to get the inflammation down, right? And so when you do steroids, that's the first thing that's going to do. It's going to, you know, create, it's going to deactivate the inflammatory response of the body. But again, you know, that's band-aids. Mm-hmm. So we really want to say, no, it's just kind of like being a diabetic. You know, I'm going to eat as much sugar as I want to, but I'm going to just bolus up with more insulin. Well, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not going to, you want to take 10 years off your life, continue to do that. Same thing with your gut, because your immune, 80% of your immune system is in your gut. So if we want to prevent cancer, then we really want to heal the gut as much as possible without having to use medications. I mean, of course, last resort, we will use them if we have to, you know, to get a, an acute situation where, you know, pay, it's intolerable for a patient. But otherwise, we would just, you know, work on natural, uh, natural means as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Because the with the steroids, it's sort of like saying, okay, we don't really care what's causing the inflammation. We're just going to keep. We're just going to get the inflammation down as quick as possible. It. Yeah, exactly. rather than what integrative medicine would say is, let's stop putting in the things that are causing the inflammation. Right, because the liver is going to take a hit on it whenever you're doing medications, mm-hmm. and so we want to try to prevent any more any any more you know stress on the body as much as possible Mm -hmm. so now let's expand a little bit more on the integrative approach you Mm -hmm. said mentioned some of the things that you usually do or recommend but when you have someone come in who has celiac they haven't really done much to address it what are some of the first tests you order steps that you have them take well you know uh first of all we just start out with the the most simplest method and that is to eliminate okay 99 percent of my patients feel so much better after they've eliminated gluten and even my patients who are not celiac and they're in the no man's land they don't even have antigens they don't have any actual uh, dysfunction when they do do the endoscopy in regards of the villi or their intestinal tract um, they feel much better so again you know before they'd kind of just look at you like okay you have a disorder in the brain because you don't have any tests here that show that you have a wheat intolerance now they're it's gaining a lot more popularity in regards to, you know, it could also be the um, the what, what they call the fermentable sugars in these foods, which wheat has a tremendous amount of glucose in it. Mm-hmm. And so these fermentable sugars, that could be the process of even starting a leaky gut situation. And so 
these fermentable sugars for a lot of people cause a lot of bloating and gas, similar symptoms. So when you take out what they, we, we we put them on a low FODMAP diet, um, then again, a lot of their sim- symptoms go away. So mm-hmm. we just kind of want to start out with the basics because all of a sudden now if you're taking all FODMAPs and you're taking out garlic and broccoli and apples and all these, you know, things that are healthy. So we just start out with the simple things. First, let's take all gluten products off. And then I also have them do a crossover and take out dairy at the same time because those can those are you know two of the highest allergens and so um usually that's going to create a lot of improvement very you know in in a relatively short period of time you know i might see them in three weeks and i'm like oh my god i feel so much better you know my bowel movements you know they're finally formed i don't have this irritable bowel thing going on Uh, i don't have i'm not fatigued anymore uh, mental clarity so a lot of times we can you know see significant improvement just in that Mm -hmm. um i might have them take an allergy test to see if they really are having allergenic response to that specificity and of gluten but sometimes like i said it'll come back that they don't Mm -hmm. but because they've been avoiding it it will kind of mostly show those foods that are most recently eaten within the last three months period um but i always say you know what the bottom line is go on with your intuition if you feel better without gluten even though you're not celiac like myself i'm not celiac but i don't do gluten because of the hashimoto's that i have again you know it'll affect instead of affecting the villi of my intestinal tract like celiac it actually breaks down my thyroid so i just don't do it now do i get diarrhea Uh, not very often do i get bloaty absolutely do i get gas absolutely so those are uncomfortable situations but it wouldn't send me to the hospital it wouldn't send me to my room it wouldn't send me to leave a party earlier or anything of that nature but i'm very careful knowing that my immune system is my gut i'm so glad you pointed that out because i think It can be so confusing when you're having digestive symptoms, uncomfortable symptoms, you do an allergy test and really nothing comes back or it's inconclusive. And I love that you say, just trust your intuition. If you eat something and it makes you feel sick, just avoid it or play with the play with the doses or how frequently you eat it. There might be a balance you can achieve, but just because one test said you don't have any allergies, don't let that dissuade you, you know, from leaning into your intuition you know and also just you know uh, being mindful of the symptoms that you're receiving okay so not just the bloating and the gas but how about the mucus right because if it's an if the body's looking at that as an antigen then it wants to move out of the system it's going to produce a histamine response which is mucus so you'll see people you know clearing their throats after they eat food <coughs> or you'll see people you know looking for a tissue to blow their nose histamine in the nasal passage so those are all food sensitivities that the body's expressing itself and i didn't like what you ate so i'm going to mount a, a, an immune response to try to trap that what you ate which, which feels to them like a bacteria and move it out of the system uh, even a racy pulse you know checking your pulse rate if you have a suspicion for a food and then eating it and 10 minutes later checking again if it's 10 beats higher then you know that you have a sensitivity uh, you mentioned that you know in regards of being able to eat it once in a while like I, ca- I have a, uh, a sensitivity to g- uh, gluten because of the Hashimoto so I pretty much don't have it but, but since dairy is a crossover um, and um, I don't really show a dairy allergy on any test but because it is a crossover I can have it um, maybe once or twice but if I have it three or four days in a row I start to have the same reaction you know I get mm. a real histamine response I, I get drainy like like I literally like I have a sinus infection it just drain 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 so that is enough to tell me no my body doesn't like that mm-hmm. no matter how delicious you know that cheese is or that you know you know ice cream what have you that your brain is you know, dopamining wanting to have that you know what is the response i get afterwards right and it can be up to a three-day response you know 
in regards to food sensitivities, unlike celiac, is an immediate response. You know, you're pretty much going to the bathroom or getting bloating or, you know, mm-hmm. issues quite fast. Mm-hmm. And so part of the reversing this disease, healing up the gut is, as we mentioned, removing the offenders, mm-hmm. removing the fuels to the fire. And with celiac, there's a very clear one, gluten. Yes. But then food allergies and intolerances can be another one. But can you touch on a little bit bacterial, parasitic, underlying infections in the gut? Sure. Um, SIBO is a big one, right? And that, it, so that you really have to pay attention to the FODMAP foods, the fermentable sugars that are in these foods. Um, that usually helps to alleviate that a lot. But we do, because if you figure it this way, if you've got a compromised gut, then you have a an opportunistic environment for candida and mold and parasites and other organisms that are opportunistics to feed off of, you know, the environment. Fermented sugars, oh my gosh, they love it. Cancer loves that as well. And so we are wanna educate, I, I wanna educate my patients in, in regards to, you know, their intuitive nature on what the body says yes to and what it says no to. And to also pay attention to your mood and your mindset because we, we crave our allergens, interestingly enough. And it's mm. kind of like a drug, you know, we all know that heroin is not good, but when, when you're an addict, you know, it's sitting there, you're gonna you're gonna take you're gonna have it because you just can't help it, right? And so this is also food sensitivities. It, when people say to me, I love this or I love dairy or I love you know, breads, then I immediately know that their body's already formed an allergy to that particular food group because they need it. It's Mm -hmm. almost a chemical need because it makes them happier. It makes them feel better. So when I get people to identify um, who wants that, okay, your bugs can want it, uh, dysregulate your glucose or your mood. You feel like you need to increase your dopamine levels, right? Because the brain is always about survivability. If it thinks you don't have enough motivation to run from a predator, it's going to start influencing you to to go eat things that bring up those glucose levels, right? Mm -hmm. Go eat some cheese, go eat some this, have salty foods. Uh, And so it's quite interesting when it comes to food cravings and what the biome of the gut is and what it's asking for to keep it alive. Yeah, it's almost like the parasites and the bacteria, it's actually their craving, not yours. Yeah, they have an intelligence. Unfortunately, they do, but not quite like ours, but they definitely have one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we clear out, you know, we get rid of the gluten, we get rid of any allergy foods, we clear out those gut infections. Now comes the time to put in the good stuff. Yes. And can you touch again on what some of those things might be? So, you know, you want to start out with um, creating the environment for digestion to take place. So, you know, oft, often they're missing hydrochloric acid, which is an enzyme that, you know, after the age of 30, you know, because of the stress and the aging and stuff, we're not producing it as well as we did when we were younger. And so, um, uh, so, so again, you know, I, I test you uh, because we have uh, the Zyto LSA that I can test very quickly on what enzymes are deficient. And so through that, I can scan and say, okay, well, this one would be more appropriate because it has hydrochloric acid or this one has lipase for fats, things of that nature. So we start out with, you know, assisting the body to do the digestion and then bringing in the army when we've killed off the bad army to some degree, okay? Uh, So probiotics are essential. Again, when it comes to healing the gut, you know, what are we going to do in regards to 
uh, changing the epithelial tissue. And so aloe vera is very good, just as well as it does on the outside, it does just as good as in the inside. And then um, any of the colostrum, which is you know what you get from your mother's milk to give you a nice uh, a, a immunity, right? And then of course the glutamine is very important. But again, if you have a, a cancer, you know it's that's one of those particular nutrients that you know we would say is contraindicative that cancer utilizes a, a, the you know glutamine for its survivability. So uh, we wouldn't necessarily use that. We've got a lot of products like Gut Restore and different herbal formulas that. Um, uh, that work really, really well in healing the gut. Mm, okay. Now, can you, this might be too broad of a question, mm-hmm. but when it comes to probiotics, yes. there is everything under the sun going on. Yeah. Can you just give us like the one over? How can we, what are some of the main things we should be looking for? Well, of course, you know, you've got so many different strains. So, I mean, depending on the gut, to be quite honest with you, like a lot of people will go, I'm going to get this, you know, you know, probiotic that has hundred billions, you know, different, you know, of, of, of the potency, but that might be way too much for someone's gut who's really def- uh, uh, defected. Mm. So we might start them out with a single strain probiotic. Um, I believe it's um, the, the HUS 58 thing that we have, which is a single spore probiotic. And then because the probiotics, they're going to feed the friendly and the unfriendly bacteria. So you might find that if you, if you start taking probiotics and you get a lot of gas, it just might be too potent and too many strains in it mm. so you might start off with just a single strain and then go to a another spore type of bacteria um, that has multiple strains in it and then we you know again we would kind of go up in dosing according to how we're seeing how the gut's being able to hand it, handle it of course uh, the acidophilus and the bifidobacteria is really important and then uh, saccharomyces boulardii is especially good especially because sometimes people have to go on antibiotic treatments I mean not so much for celiac as they do with Crohn's would, would maybe would have to go on for antibiotics because it does create kind of some ulcerations right uh inward and outwardly topically um so so again it's like kind of identifying is getting rid of the you know uh, you know the bad guys in there the bugs and then um building up the um capacity to have better digestion and then bring in the good army in there and then whatever we're utilizing for healing the gut mm-hmm so now let's go into the emotional aspect of gut health and i'm gonna let you sort of take the lead on this because you're you know this is one of your specialties okay well you know um as i was just shared with you a little bit this morning on the polyvagal theory i mean i'm not an expert at it but i find it extremely fascinating because i do a lot of emotional work and so um, Peter Levine is fantastic for anybody who wants to, you know, uh, study a little bit more about this. And also um, uh, Irene Lyons is really great. So you're looking at any kind of podcast that would kind of give you some idea about all of this. So, so think about it this way is that, you know, oftentimes we think um, as children that, you know, maybe two parents arguing in the household or a very chaotic household, uh, abusive in, in nature. Well, a parent might be um, thinking that child will never remember this incident. You know, this um, maybe a, uh, a man uh, father hits the mother and the child screams and cries and then um, and then doesn't get nurtured, doesn't get held, doesn't get made to feel safe. So a parent might think, oh, that child will never remember that. But semantically, they will remember the emotional collapse of the situation. And it's like takes a snapshot of what's going on because their poor little nervous system cannot handle this, right? You've got, you know, when you come into something that would be um, 
a fearful situation, your vagal nerve assesses it and it says, you know, it's all about survivability. So first it assesses I'm in danger, okay, the environment's danger, and the next thing that it looks at is who's there to help me co-regulate oh here's a parent that can tell me i'm safe i'm okay here's a husband that says it's all going to be okay here's a best friend that's going to sit there and say i'm going to be with you don't you worry i can co-regulate but let's just say that um you don't have anybody to co-regulate and as a child um you didn't have it so you learned how to self-soothe okay now um self-soothing is is what we all do when there's nobody around but if we um was it were a child that uh didn't speak right in regards of we didn't have the capacity because we were still under the age of one years old we didn't have verbal skills then we're going to hold all that emotion inside our tissue it's called semantic patterning and since a child cannot get comforted, uh, then what they do is they learn how to shut down mm. and they begin not to feel. And so it's really important because people will just say, I feel numb when I talk to my emotion. I just feel numb. And so that means that this that child uh, was exposed to an environment where their nervous system could not handle it. They couldn't run from it. They couldn't fight. So they collapsed and they um, basically shut down. And so this would be a person that oftentimes says they can't feel their feelings, uh, they're emotionally disassociated, they don't meet their personal needs um, because um, it might, and, and again, you can come up another incident that has nothing to do with what happened to you, but it's similar enough that you can go back into the shock therapy with you know German New Medicine. They say that the body remembers everything and takes a snapshot of it. Like, let's just say a traumatic incident happened, in, but at the same time you were eating strawberries, okay? that it takes a snapshot of everything in the environment. So let's just say as you go on in life and as adult, and all of a sudden, you know, you have excessive stress in your life, and now all of a sudden you have an, an allergy to strawberries. Hmm. Because it's it was a similar kind of traumatic situation that you experienced when you were eating strawberries, when it took a snapshot of it, it was very similar to it. And then all of a sudden now when I go to eat strawberries, I have an allergy to it. Mm -hmm. So that's what we call a track. The body has laid down a track of, of a photograph of the environment that can be triggered by your future experiences that look similar and there you can have more food sensitivities because of that. Mm. So in German medicine, you know, we consider the gut, especially with celiacs, is that um, it's called, um, uh, uh, the conflict is um, anger. It's internalized anger. So again, if a child is, is experiencing a chaotic environment, they don't know what you know anger is and it is suppressed in the tissue and so again um it's called a morsel of anger that was not resolved oh, wow. in german medicine so when we look at the gut so again you know uh this is why the polyvagal theory is really wonderful and i would i would uh, encourage people to to look that up because it's uh, it's exercises that you can move this energy out of the mm -hmm. tissue because in German medicine, they say, okay, the body's really forgiving for one incident of a traumatic situation, but if it's multiple times, it starts to be, create a track. And then later on in life, this could be the situation where we see disease happening. Uh, it's quite uh, interesting when I do a lot of emotional work is that there's so many correlations between um, uh, uh, child abuse and or sexual abuse to cancer hugely wow. now it's not to say that every person that has had sexual abuse has ovarian and breast cancer but a majority of them do so mm -hmm. it's a traumatic 
shock experience that ends up affecting the body, you know, as time goes by with further assaults emotionally that look and feel similar to what one had in their childhood. Hmm. Wow. And it sounds like what it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you as a child had a lot of repressed anger, unexpressed anger, you're going to get celiac. It just means that area is maybe weakened and primed and it could it could lead into any number of different health issues related to the gut. Yeah, and so I would say um, it could be many health issues, like let's just say your IBS issues, 99%, that's an emotional issue as well. And I would say my patients all will say, yes, it is more exasperated when I'm going through stress. Just kind of like, you know, let's just say shingles or herpes, you know, they live within, you know, the ganglia of the spine, but only when you're stressed out do they express themselves. So again, you know, we try to teach people how to downregulate the sympathetic nervous system uh, because we're all going to experience pain, we're all gonna experience sorrow, um, but we have a choice to how long we want to stay in, let's just say, grief, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, grief is the mindset that I something's been taken away from me that I can't replace. Um, and so, one of the, my goals is to really get patients centered in the mindset that they have choice. They have choice to eat that. They have choice to think this. They have choice to downregulate, um, and they need to be really responsible because if your immune system is being run by you at the age of five years old, which is just strictly emotionally based, it doesn't have intellectual reasoning, um, then you know you kind of say, okay, the dialogue in my mind, would I speak to a five-year-old the way I'm speaking to myself, right? And when you start to regulate that mindset, then you're really being mindful of your gut. Mm-hmm. So now let me ask you this, have you ever done an EVOC session with someone on celiac? Or, uh, yeah. or gut issues? Yeah, oh yeah, all the time I do that. And so again, I am looking at a lot of childhood trauma. Wow. You know, and put it this way, it doesn't need to be as, as as outrageous as sexual abuse or physical abuse. It could just be as simple as, you know, um, my sister got a lollipop after dinner and I didn't. And now I think mommy loves her more than she loves me. But what I couldn't understand, because I didn't have intellectual processing, that she said that if we didn't eat our meal, we couldn't get a lollipop. Well, I didn't understand that because I was too young to understand that. But so now I've created a, a mindset that she, mommy loves her more than she loves me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I start to have this lie that I build my own defense mechanism and why, you know, she gets this, I don't get that. Or, and, and it's just, you know, so again, um, when it comes to the gut, gut feelings, you know, wrenched gut feelings, it's um, processed. Like when I do e-box, I have them uh, do color therapy and I have them hold different stones that represent the emotions that are in the, in, in the, um, in the organ systems and I place them on their belly. I have them hold them in their hand because this is your emotional center, is your gut. Hmm. And so um, I would say 99% of the time um, when I work with them on their emotional level, their gut gets better. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting because one of my favorite, favorite books of all time is The Body Keeps the Score, Yeah, which is just phenomenal. But he points out in his research that we know there's, he calls them big T traumas and little T traumas. And the big T's are like the emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, 
uh, being in a war, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we sort of think that those are much more damaging. But what he actually says is it's the chronic little T traumas that create just wreck havoc within Mm -hmm. our body. And those can be things just like a negligent parent, an emotionally unavailable parent, mm-hmm. um, a parent being gone, all these little yeah. things that we don't think about. Because sh- children really have no idea of time. So let's just say, uh, um, like for example, I, uh, when I, my daughter was, uh, I think maybe 14 months old, I was living in Malaysia at the time and I had to go to Europe. So I had my girlfriend watch her, who I completely trusted, and um, and I went off to Europe for a week. Well, when I came back, she was so upset with me. Um, and my girlfriend said that she went around the household for one entire day looking for me in every single room. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I thought, oh my God, that's so sad. But again, you know, here she is at 30 years old. She doesn't like being alone. So again, what does that set up? An abandonment issue. Is mommy ever going to come home? She's my tribe. How will I survive without my tribe? So it doesn't need to be this monumental thing. It can be the simplest thing as what you said, a parent not available. So many times, you know, we don't see, hear, or feel our child, but yet we're in the same room. But we're, you know, they're asking for food and you're saying, yeah, I'll get to you. I'll get to you. Can't you see mommy's busy? I'm hungry too, you know? Mm -hmm. And then what does the child do after a while? Just stops asking. And, or you see a child that is crying and and you just say, you know, quit crying, quit acting like a a girl or whatever, you're a baby, you know? And uh, and then the child um, learns to feel that they cannot express their emotions and be consoled. And so all of these things, I mean, so every one of us has had child trauma. I don't care who we are. We, yeah. we all had it. Um, even when, it, you know, in our informative years growing up and, you know, going to school and there being a bully, you know, and telling, you know, you not, not nice things and you go home saying, I'm so ugly or I'm so stupid or I'm so this. So I think it's really important for parents to really pay attention to body language of a child and the demeanor of a child. Is it different than it was yesterday and re- the day before in regards to this happy-go-lucky child? Right now they be or they seem very introverted. They're not talking. They're not, you know, what, what is different? Then a parent needs to ask a lot of questions because mm. the child's not going to give up that information because they have no idea on how to do that. Yeah, yeah. And you actually can do evox with children too. I can, you know. Uh, I guess we don't see children. Well, you know, we do see children, but a lot of times I need to work with the mother of the child. And I found that way more effective because um, the mother will have a lot of stress behind a child's condition. Let's just say a child has ADD or a child has... um, Um, issues with uh, autism or any of these things or even if a child's had uh, a little uh, I won't call it a little but a traumatic situation of of, um, inappropriate touching okay so it wasn't um, but regardless however degree it's still inappropriate and a child will have a discomfort because it's not a feeling that is a feel-good feeling right it's Mm -hmm. kind of a violation even children realize that it's a violation Um, and so if, um, if that's not resolved, uh, then the conflict will continue to remain in their tissue. So I need to work with the parent because the parent will hold the trauma. Like I had a patient the other day who had an incident uh, with a neighbor kid and his child and, um, and she's traumatized behind it and is really paranoid, doesn't wanna let the child go out by itself. You know, so now what's that creating? Another atmosphere of stress for the child. And, um, and so I said, well, you know, she brought the child in and, um, 
And of course, this child has subtactile issues and, and ADD, so it's very hard for me to have him sit quietly or, or to you know put his hand on the cradle for any significant amount of time because you have to have your hand touching the frequency plate when you receive treatment. Um, so I just said, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to work with you because this is really where mm. hit, how you can heal him is how you perceive the situation as a trauma uh, that you could not do anything about, hmm. right? And so clearing the parents is a lot easier in healing the child because the parent doesn't have guilt and shame that they can transfer straight over to the child. Right. They're sort of perpetuating a situation and a set of beliefs or ideals yeah. unknowingly onto the child. But I would say probably by the age of 12 years old, when they have intellectual reasoning, I can work with them quite well. Mm -hmm. and, and they're pretty susceptible. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so amazing. Well, Liliana, thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. It's always my my pleasure. I don't think I've ever read or heard anything related to celiac that mentioned an emotional component. Yeah. So well, I think this is just going to be a really, really powerful message for people to hear. Excellent. You know, and Gabor Mate is awesome, right? And so again, he's a, a physician that has really spent his whole, you know, career on childhood trauma and disease. Excellent. Hmm. And then there is Stephen Porges, who was the actual inventor of the uh, polyvagal theory. So all of these just are great information so that we can have a, a recognition that's not in our head for those of the patients that are in nomads land that really don't have celiac or hmm. Crohn's, but, you know, have uh, IBS and, uh, you know, uh, very uncomfortable uh, symptoms that go along with it, um, that there's so much to do out there. Hmm. And, you know, so from your brain to your gut. Yes, I love it. And every all those names, any books will definitely be linked in the show notes for the audience. So thank you again, Liliana. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs>